Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. To all my bed crimers, hi, how you doing? Hope you're having a great day. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out the channel. Let me just ask that if after watching or listening to this episode, you find you enjoyed it or learned something, do me a favor, smash that like button and consider subscribing. Now, without further ado, let's get started. Criminal profiler Pat Brown has created a behavioral profile of Rachel Morin's killer. Morin is the 37-year-old mother of five who was murdered on a hiking trail in Bel Air, Maryland. Brown suggested the man likely exhibits several psychopathic traits, including a lack of empathy, compulsive lying, narcissism, and manipulation. She also believes the suspect must know someone in Bel Air and was able to stay at that person's home. Brown wrote, quote, The suspect would not be accounted for either at work or home sometime between 6 p.m. and dusk on Saturday, August 5th, 2023, when the attack happened. Dog the Bounty Hunter, aka Dwayne Chapman, shared his possible clues he noticed in the video of the man where he's seen leaving the Los Angeles home of a young girl who was essayed by him. Chapman said on CNN that guys who essay victims usually don't fully undress, but this guy appears to have done that. Think about it, if he's just there to essay a victim, why remove his shirt? Dog the Bounty Hunter also pointed out that the man doesn't run away from that house. He almost like skips down the walkway. Chapman pointed out the man's necklace and says that it looks like it's tight on his neck and so he probably leaves it on at all times. Chapman feels that the guy's shaved haircut could be that of a military man. He also noticed something under a sweater or sweatshirt that the guy is carrying. Chapman wondered why he was wearing something heavy like a warm long sleeve top during the heat of the summer. There's also something on the lower right side of his pants. Chapman thinks it might be a cell phone. If so, can the authorities figure out from the cell towers who was in the area at that time? A former Washington, D.C. homicide detective named Ted Williams told Fox News Digital that women who run or jog in the early morning or late night need to make a point to change their jogging pattern because there are always predators out there. And I'm going to add that women who walk or hike or ride their bikes solo need to do the same thing. Williams pointed out the many cases we've seen over the years of women vanishing and then ending up dead after exercising on their own. He mentioned 24-year-old Chandra Levy, who vanished during a jog in Rock Creek Park in Washington, D.C. A year later, her remains were found off the path. Then there was Molly Tibbetts, who also disappeared while out for an evening run on a rural road outside her hometown of Brooklyn, Iowa, 
On July 18th of 2018, her body was later found, and an undocumented immigrant from Mexico working as a farmhand was convicted of her murder. And don't forget Karina Vetrano, who normally jogged with her father Phil, but in August of 2016 went out jogging alone near her family's Howard Beach home in Queens, New York. When she failed to return home, her father and the police went out looking for her. Her body was about 15 feet from the path in a marshland, and a man named Chanel Lewis was found guilty of essaying Karina and killing her. And the list goes on and on and on. As I stated earlier, it's not just women running or jogging who are at risk of being attacked. You'd think being on a bike would give you a greater chance of escaping a predator, and maybe it does sometimes, but not always. To prove my point, I'm going to tell you a bed crime story that begins in September of 1988. George H. W. Bush was the 41st president of the United States at the time. The movies Die Hard, Rambo 3, Crocodile Dundee 2, and Rain Man were in the theaters. 19-year-old Tara Calico loved her daily 36-mile bike rides in Valencia County, New Mexico. In fact, she covered the same desolate route on New Mexico State Road 47 each morning. Tara was a sophomore at the University of New Mexico Valencia campus, studying psychology. She also worked as a teller at the First National Bank of Belen. Intelligent and outgoing, Tara had a lot of friends, and she was undoubtedly on her way to a very bright future. On September 20th of 1988, Tara left her Rio community's home. On Brugge Street in Belen, New Mexico, at 9:30 a.m., she had to take her mother's pink Huffy mountain bike with yellow control cables and sidewalls because her own bike had a flat tire. Wearing a white T-shirt that said "First National Bank of Belen" with green striped white shorts, white ankle socks, and white. And turquoise Avia tennis shoes. She was planning to play tennis with her boyfriend after the ride at around 12:30 p.m. On this morning, Tara told her mother Patty Dole that if she wasn't home by noon, to come and get her. She didn't want to be late for her boyfriend. Note that this was before cell phones were widely available, so Tara couldn't just call her mom and say, "Come and get me." As a cold front started to roll in from the north, and the clock struck 12:05 p.m. with no sign of Tara, Patty went out looking for her, thinking she'd find her daughter walking home. Not finding Tara, Patty called her husband John Dole and the cops. As they scoured Tara's route, they came upon her Sony Walkman and a cassette tape of the band Boston on the side of the road, but no Tara. And no pink bike. The Walkman and cassette were ominous signs, as were the scattered thunderstorms that came over Belen. Tara's younger sister Michelle was a sophomore in high school at the time. One of her sister's best friends and Tara's boyfriend came to get Michelle at school and drive her home. Michelle was shocked to see a bunch of police cars outside the family home. 
Inside the house, she discovered a chaotic scene. There were cops, friends, family, and community members all trying to help figure out where Tara was and what had happened. When word got out of Tara's disappearance, several witnesses came forward to say that they'd seen her riding her bike that day. Few more people claimed to have observed a light-colored pickup truck, perhaps a 1953 Ford, with a camper shell following closely behind her. Five hours after Tara failed to turn up, her name was entered into the National Crime Information Center. Days turned into weeks, turned into months, and Tara still wasn't home. Search efforts were made to find her, but all to no avail. Ten months after Tara vanished, a friend called John Dole with word of something very strange. A Polaroid photo had surfaced in Florida showing a young woman and a boy lying in the back of a vehicle, perhaps a van. In the photo, both apparent victims faced the camera. Their mouths were taped, and their arms appeared to be pressed together behind their backs as though they were tied up. Both the female and the boy bore expressions of obvious distress. The female looked just like Tara, Adding to the belief it could be Tara was a paperback copy of one of her favorite books, My Sweet Audrina, Lying Next to the Female. The Polaroid had been found by a lady in a convenience store parking lot in Port St. Joe on Florida's Panhandle. That was 1,500 miles away from where Tara had vanished. The lady said the photo was on the ground in a parking space where a white windowless Toyota cargo van had been parked. A man with a mustache, who looked to be in his 30s, was at the wheel of the van. The lady immediately called the police. Once they saw the photo, they set up roadblocks. Unfortunately, they were unable to track down the van. According to experts, the Polaroid had to have been taken after May 1989 because the film used was not available until then. That would have been about eight months after Tara disappeared. Soon the media caught wind of the Polaroid story and the show A Current Affair presented the photo on air to the American public. Tara's stepfather got a phone call after the show from a friend who'd seen it and believed the female in the photo was Tara. When Patty Dole saw the photo, she too was certain it was her daughter. A scar on the back of the female's leg matched one that Tara had from a car accident. Patty and John called the Valencia County Sheriff's Department to let them know about the image. Adding to the intrigue was that another New Mexico family felt the same about the young boy in the photo. They believed the boy was their missing nine-year-old son, Michael Henley. Michael had disappeared in April of 1988 while hunting with his father. Michael's mother said after seeing the photo, quote, He looks scared, real scared, but he looks healthy, and I'm grateful for that, end quote. 
The photo was then analyzed three different times, once by Scotland Yard, who concluded the female was indeed Terra Calico, a second time by the Los Alamos National Laboratory, who disagreed and felt it was not Terra. The FBI, too, weighed in, but their analysis was inconclusive. The Valencia County Sheriff's Office, the lead investigating agency, decided not to pursue the photo. Further investigative scrutiny of the image called into question what it really depicted. For example, the girl's hands appear to not be tied together tightly, and her shoulders do not seem as stressed as they would if her ties were severe. Also, there's no redness around the tape on the children's mouths as you would expect if that tape had been there for an extended period. But still, that's a pretty scary photo, and it's hard to believe someone would set up that scene as some sort of sick prank. The Valencia County Police and the FBI decided to ignore the Polaroid and to concentrate instead on local suspects. The theory was that Tara had been taken or attacked by people in her small community in New Mexico. That theory was supported by those witness reports that Tara had been followed on her final bike ride by a light-colored truck, and apparently Tara had been receiving threatening notes on her vehicle prior to her disappearance. 1989 turned into 1990, and in June of that year, one answer to the mystery came. The remains of little Michael Henley were discovered in the Zuni Mountains, seven miles from where he had been hunting with his father when he disappeared. The police concluded that Michael had wandered off and succumbed to the elements, so now everyone knew the boy in the photo wasn't Michael Henley. But who was that boy? To this day, he has yet to be conclusively identified. Tragically, Tara's mother, Patty, died in 2006 of complications from a series of strokes after relocating to Florida with her husband, John. She and John kept a bedroom for Tara where they would place gifts for her every Christmas and on her birthday. Near the end of her life when her speech was affected, Patty would see a young girl on a bike and would point and write down Tara. And John would look at her and say, no, that's not Tara. Tara's older brother, Chris, said that the stress of his sister's disappearance and its lack of resolution significantly shortened his mother's life. He told People magazine, quote, the police would send photos of every possibility, including photos of bodies, dismembered bodies, and every time mom got an envelope with the newest picture, she had to look at them. She couldn't not, but it tore her up every time, end quote. To Patty, the Polaroid was proof that Tara had survived whatever she had encountered on her bike ride in 1988. Chris said to People magazine, Mom really did not want to believe she was dead, period, and even photographic evidence 
of a young woman alive, even though she's in extremis, was something to latch onto. After Patty's death, Tara's sister Michelle took over as her sister's advocate. She worked together with a high school friend of Tara's named Melinda Esquibel, who created a podcast called Vanished, the Tara Calico Investigation. Note that Michelle said she got goosebumps when she first saw the Polaroid of the young woman and boy. Michelle told People Magazine that she still looks at that photo and feels it looks just like her sister, Tara. But Michelle is also pragmatic and says that it doesn't make 100% sense that Tara would have ended up 1,500 miles away from home. To her, that would not fit Occam's razor, which says that the most logical explanation is usually the right one. Occam's razor would say that something happened to Tara in her small town, and the perpetrator or perpetrators were either living in the town or living nearby. In 1998, Tara was declared dead by a judge who filed her death as a homicide. The investigation into Tara's disappearance spanned seven different Valencia County Sheriff's administrations over the years. Each sheriff took a different approach to the case. Different leads over the years led investigators to obtain search warrants for various properties in New Mexico, where it was said Tara's body had been buried. Investigators dug up these properties by hand and with backhoes, and each time they didn't find find anything. At one point, the FBI offered a $20,000 reward for precise information leading to the identification or location of Tara and info leading to the arrest and conviction of those responsible for her disappearance. In 2013, the sheriff reopened the case and gathered a task force to look into it. They offered a $10,000 reward. In November of 2013, another $25,000 was offered as a reward. Five years ago, the case was reopened again and investigated. Then in the fall of 2021, a sealed search warrant was issued to search a home in Valencia County. Fast forward to early 2023, and Tara's stepfather, John Dole, passed away. But Tara's story is not over. On June 6 of 2023, yes, this year, the Valencia County Sheriff's Office stated in a press release that they had made substantial progress with the FBI's help into Tara's disappearance. Law enforcement now believes that they have identified the offenders associated with Tara suddenly vanishing in 1988. The police stated, quote, We are seeking to charge and arrest the offenders. New evidence was found stemming from investigative work in October 2020 to present. The district attorney's office has assigned a team of prosecutors to review the investigation. This case has obvious challenges due to its age and circumstances. Legal experts are currently being briefed and caught up on 34 years of investigative work. 
end quote. So far, any suspect names remain sealed. And now the FBI has finally confirmed that the young woman in the Polaroid was not Tara Calico. But then who are those two people? What happened to them? Was that a prank? Or were those two unfortunate souls the victims of human trafficking? That mystery remains. Note that if Tara Calico were alive today, she'd be 53 years old. So now we wait for the arrests of the suspects in her case. You can be sure I will let you know when that day of long-awaited justice finally comes. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories. Hey, do me a favor. Smash that like button. Subscribe to my channel. I won't let you down. And I'll see you next time.